We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. What is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it. You made it to church, and if we haven't met yet, I'm Pastor Peter Haas, and uh, you know, today I, I, I actually threw away my message for this weekend. I was just so disturbed by all the things going on around the world, I, I just felt like, you know what, I, I, can't, I can't just keep the message that I had. I, I need to, to, to shift, and I, I've really prayed up a lot about the message that I wanna share with you today uh, that is regarding a lot of the things going on around the world. As most of you know, uh, this last Thursday, uh, the country of Russia jumped into what is perhaps the biggest military event in, in several generations. I, I was trying to think back to you know some of the bigger uh, historical shifts that I've seen in my life. I remember the invasion of Kuwait in the early 90s and uh, the impact of that. It was one of the first wars that, that uh, was televised in real time all around the world, but you know, even as I look back on that, I mean, let's be honest, Iraq was not a world superpower, and that's what makes some of the events even more disturbing. I, I think the implications of what is currently happening are, are just, uh, it doesn't even compare to anything that I've experienced in my lifetime, and I, I just, I, I'm sharing these things because I know that a lot of you are, are you know, you're, you, you can't help but to be watching the news in, in light of some of these things. I mean, it's literally changing the, the world order very quickly, and a lot of the things happening in Ukraine are not just a political thing. I, I, I need you to hear my heart today. I do believe that there is a spiritual and demonic thing actually happening, and I, I wanna give you a different filter through which you can view even a lot of the news. You see, whenever I'm watching the news or even reading a history book, I'm always asking the question, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Would you help me to see things through the lens of heaven? How many of you know the lens of heaven changes things? It's just like, it's like I remember when I first got my glasses, I, I was like, you know, all these, those, those squiggly things that I was seeing were words. And suddenly I could see different because of the lens that I had on my eyes. My, I asked my, uh, the doctor who did my eye exam, I'm like, how often do I have to wear these things? And he said, well, how often do you wanna see? You know what I'm saying? And, and I, I really feel like when we, we watch the news and when we uh, hear these types of things, we have to have a spiritual filter. And if I could give you a spiritual filter that might even change the way you're, you're seeing some of these events, um, I think it's kind of interesting to note that many of the largest churches in Russia today are actually led by Ukrainians. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you, you have to admit there's something kind of fascinating about that. In fact, uh, what a lot of people don't even know is that over the last several weeks, over 200 pastors in Russia have been arrested and detained just because they're Christians and they're leading influential churches. And so there's, there's a greater thing at, at work here that I believe is actually demonic. I do believe that, that behind earthly forces, there's always principalities and powers that are pulling the strings, spiritual forces of evil that are pulling the strings. I, I loved even this, the last couple of days, I, I saw a whole bunch of videos of Ukrainian Christians who were leading worship in the subways underneath Kiev, 
and uh, Ukrainians were hiding in subway tunnels to avoid the Russian bombs, and of course, Christians uh, in their midst just started leading worship services in those subway tunnels. It's like modern-day evangelists in the streets, just, I'm telling you, church, light shines brightest in the darkness, and none of us want darkness. None of us wanna go through hours of trial, and yet, sometimes, hey, those are the moments where we get to share Christ the most. It was Paul and Silas in the prison. They got to lead the prison guard to Christ. Are you hearing me? Nobody wants to go to prison. We all wanna see biblical miracles. We just don't wanna see the circumstances, that, the, the desperation that results in a biblical miracle. And I, I just, you know, in fact, I, I, and if I could just encourage you a little bit, our, our church is actually doing a lot to help, there's a, a portion of every dollar you guys give here is actually gonna go help uh, to, to alleviate some of this and, and seize the moment from a gospel standpoint. Uh, we're actually sending a lot of resources uh, to our partner churches in Poland and, and Moldova uh, who are setting up refugee centers for uh, the millions of people who are crossing the border. In fact, we actually have, uh, I've got a lot of friends who specialize in logistics and shipping uh, things opposite of the chaos. And so we've got a lot of uh, partners who are already specializing in getting uh, relief uh, to some of these refugee centers. Um, and a portion of your dollars are going towards that. You need to understand. We also, and not just for, for you know, food and water and clothing and those types of things, resourcing the pastors over there uh, in Ukraine, Poland, and places like that, but we also have digital, we're gonna be doing a lot of outreach with digital resources, both in Ukrainian and Russian, uh, resources that are, are translated, resources for moments like these. That, that I really do believe that, that we can seize the moment and, and be a light in the darkness, but I, I church, at the same time, I, I want you to understand the greatest thing that we could be doing right now is prayer, and it's to have a kingdom focus in seasons now, like this season, now more than ever. And I, I, I think about, it, back in the Old Testament, there was a similar season like this going on in the book of First Chronicles, uh, there, was, there was a chaos. God was actually exposing a lot of the corruption of, of King Saul, and of course, the prophet Samuel had anointed David, and Saul, rather than using the military for good, he was using it, actually, to take out all of his political opponents. He was, he was running around uh, the, the country with this guard looking to hunt down David, and, and, and Israelites were confused of, uh, of which side to take politically. I mean, it was just confusion in that region, and, and it's interesting. I wanna point this out to you because in 1 Chronicles 12, 32, it talks about the tribe of Issachar stood out. In the midst of this chaos, there's always a group that stands out. There's always a group that has, has wisdom and understanding about what the Lord was doing, and the Bible says about the tribe of Issachar, there were two, 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men, this is what's interesting, the Bible points out points this out about them, and I, I wish this would be said about us in our church in this time, but these men understood the signs of the times. In fact, that, that's a, that expression, you've heard it many times before, it's actually a biblical one. They understood the signs of the times, and they knew the best course for Israel 
to take. They understood the signs of the times. They understood the big picture of God. They were able to see beyond the headlines. They were able to see beyond the rhetoric. They were able to see just beyond the, 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 the politics. They were able to see the spiritual vantage point. They were able to see through a kingdom filter with what God was doing. And they knew that God had anointed, God was actually changing things up. And the Bible tells us that they made the decision to line up behind David, which was risky, but guess what? They were blessed. They were able to actually be a part of the moment on the side of with what God was doing on the earth. And in a similar way today, I, I wanna give you a kingdom filter. I wanna help you, uh, just give you some thoughts that maybe will help you getting an understanding of what God is doing on the planet earth through wars and through rumors of wars. Another biblical expression that we're gonna study today. And I'm gonna be honest with you, the first portion of my message uh, may come off a little bit heavy, but some of that is on purpose because I wanna birth in you a divine burden. I want you guys to be motivated to be praying. And so I wanna give you a divine burden, but I, I promise you, I, I, it's the, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. We're gonna uplift it, uplift you today with the plan of God, and I, I really do believe that God wants us to, to get in alignment with that glorious plan, and hopefully by the end of today you'll experience that. So Heavenly Father, as I even share these things, I pray that um, you'd give us wisdom and insight, Lord. We don't wanna just be uh, people running around the earth um, with a carnal political filter, Lord. We wanna have a kingdom filter. We wanna realize just how short our lives are and, and just how fragile life is and that we can speak your truth and, and be your representatives to a world that desperately needs you right now. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree with that prayer, say amen. Amen. Well, before we dive into to the passage today, the Bible passage we're gonna study, I wanna, I wanna start by giving you a couple history lessons that will maybe pique your interest. Maybe uh, many of you guys know that I'm kind of a history buff, a wannabe history buff. The last uh, three years I've just been reading uh, I've been reading books like a maniac. And don't get me wrong, I, I've, been, I, I've been reading my Bible a lot too, okay? So in case you're worried I'm reading too many of the wrong kind of books. I, I, I think I've probably read more Bible in the last couple years than I have in my entire life. I've just been, I've just had this insatiable desire. I just can't get it. I, I, and maybe you're praying for me to have more desire for God's word and it's working or, or maybe, you know, I'm, maybe I'm actually growing up spiritually. I don't know, I don't know what the deal is, but I, I've just had this insatiable hunger for the Bible, but I've also had this insatiable hunger uh, to read history books and I, I just kind of made the decision early on in the pandemic I'm gonna I'm gonna get less social media and a little more perspective come on some of us we, we know you have to detach from the wrong voices and I've been trying to expose myself to, to voices that have a bigger view of history I'm trying to zoom back, and, and so I've been reading a lot of history books to gain perspective on, on, on all the former pandemics, what was all the chaos, how did people overreact, and how can we help people uh, just be better leaders in these seasons. I, I've been reading a lot about political life cycles, the, 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 the kind of the throughout history, what were some of the overreactions people had leading through these different political life cycles. And part of it is like, you guys, I just, I, I want you to hear my heart. I just do not wanna miss God in this season. I, I find myself, I know that I am a leader in this season and I, I just don't wanna miss uh, God. I, I wanna get that spiritual filter. I wanna see that big picture and I, I just, I don't know about you, but I, I just don't wanna get caught up in the chaos 
of our time and then miss the bigger picture. I don't wanna be that, that person that regrets what I said on social media. I don't wanna be the person that regrets the messages that I preach, those types of things. And I, I, I just, and so maybe that's part of what's driving this, but I, uh, I, I've been reading a lot of history books and I wanna point out two of them real quick to you that I, I, I've read and reread. The, the, years ago, I read the book called The Fourth Turning by Strauss and Howe, came out in 1996. And I, I went back and I read it again right as the pandemic was hitting. And then I, uh, here's another one. It's kind of a, a similar book. They kind of have similar themes, except this one's about uh, 20 years newer. It came out in 2020, um, The Storm Before the Calm. And uh, as I was reading them, I just, you know, both of these books, what they do is they obsess over something called history cycles, they, uh, cycles of war, institutional cycles. And what, what I mean by that, this is gonna sound a little crazy, but uh, historians have actually proven, uh, so this book, it, it's all about war cycles in history, and historians have actually proven, they make a, a very, very compelling case that every 95 years, like almost, like very accurately within a very small window, every 95 years there's a world war that reshapes the world order, okay? So, uh, and, and actually it, it's very, very, very predictable they have found. In fact, um, this catastrophic war that reinvents the world order, it, it just, it, it constantly happens on, on, a, on a very particular, particular cycle. And this war cycle can go all the way back to the 1400s. And so they trace this, this cycle all the way back and it's so predictable that every major war in the last 600 years can, can fall on a very specific timeline, okay? And let me show it to you real quick. It, it's, it's fascinating when you see this. Again, every 95 years or so, there's a catastrophic uh, war that ends up reinventing world order uh, for the civilization that we participate in, right? And in between these world wars, historians will call it, they'll, they'll call them uh, probing wars or supplemental wars. And, and don't get me wrong, the probing wars, the, so the major wars are at the top and the, the supplementary wars usually like in between 50 year increments um, will alternate. But the difference between the probing war and the, the major wars generally is these are slightly more global and they, they tend to change world order, okay? So World War I was a big war, a lot of people died, so it's significant. Same thing with Vietnam, but again, they didn't change world order. They didn't change all the way governments operated, okay? So that's the, 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 the filter. And they found that these occur at very, very predictable frequencies when you map them out in, in history, okay? So, um, and, and to be clear, I, I'm not saying that you guys have to uh, agree with any of these. These are, these are this is historical theory, okay? But I, I it, it is very compelling when you study it, okay? Because the Bible actually does say, what the Bible does say about, about cycles is this, Ecclesiastes 1.9, that there are, war, Ecclesiastes talks all about the cycles, uh, the economic cycle, cycles, war cycles, and, and Solomon says, what has been will be again, what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. In other words, the Bible does argue that there are cycles that we can study and we can know, and if we know them like Issachar, the signs of the time, uh, the, like, or maybe even the wise men of the nativity, they understood the signs of the time. We can actually take advantage of them and be at the, get a front row seat to what God is doing on, on planet Earth. Does that make sense? And so that's why we're even talking about them today. But, but here's kind of the sobering fact that I've noticed throughout a lot of these history books that talk about war cycles is almost every major scholar that studies war cycles is making the case that we're, we're due for a big one. 
And I know that sounds kind of ominous, but uh, I, let, me just, let me just show you this. Okay, this was, again, written 26 years ago, okay? Uh, they actually predicted, what made this book kind of famous is they accurately predicted 9-11 would happen. They even mentioned terror, the type of terrorism that would happen, and then everybody started paying more attention to it. Um, going, they, they also predicted uh, the economic downturn, the, the housing bust, these types of things, uh, just based on war cycles, not like fortune telling, okay? It's just pure, predictable war cycles. And they made the case in the book that sometime before the year 2025, America will pass through a great gate in history. It, they write, commensurate with the American Revolution, Civil War, and the twin emergencies of the Great Depression and World War II. Uh, to be specific, they did predict uh, an economic crisis in the 2010s leading into the 2020s. They predicted that, that the world will get more cynical, more anti-institutional, and more isolationist in the, in the 2010s. And, and some of you are like, how can they know? I mean, really. I mean, keep in mind, there's, there's a lot of debates about why this is, but there's actually, there, there's another cycle. We talk, talked about war cycles. There's what we call institutional cycles. Uh, historians have also proven that every 80 years, culture will go through a shift in the way that it relates to its governance. In other words, a mega shift in the way that, that a culture will face its, its view of government every 80 years, and they can tra trace this, this cycle all the way back. And the same thing is true with an economic cycle. The economic cycle is about a 50-year cycle, historians will say, that there's, a, there's usually a crisis every 50 years that, that changes and modifies the economic uh, system of a civilization. Now, the reason why these are important is because when you map these out historically, and, and you're gonna find some of this kind of interesting. You have the financial cycle, green, institutional cycle, the way we relate to government, blue, war cycle, and red. You look at all this, this is the first time in American history where all three of these cycles have come to the crisis point, is the peak. Okay, so in case you were wondering why it's been a little bit of a roller coaster the last couple of years, Okay, well, historians would say, hey, we're at the convergence of a very, very predictable historical uh, cycle, but this one's a little unique because we're at the convergence of, of three historical cycles. And some of you are kind of like, Pastor Peter, what, are you trying to freak us out? I mean, like, I came to church to get encouraged today, you know? Well, and here's the deal. I know, okay, we're gonna get there, okay? Just, just stick with me, okay, because the roller coaster is gonna go up and down, and we're gonna, it's gonna gonna go down and it's gonna go up and it's gonna go down and I'm just gonna, we're gonna have some fun with this, okay? So just stick with me, okay? I know that sounds kind of ominous, but when you see the signs of the times, you can actually adjust to the signs. Because God, listen to me, church, God always creates an opportunity in the crisis. Like, I, I, again, it's just, it's, we're, we're looking at cycles, we're observing signs of the time, and, and it's very, very predictable. People are anti-institution, at the peak, in the, in the blue. You can trace this in history. People, people are, are, tend to be more anti-church also at the top of a blue institutional cycle, okay? So it, it's, these are predictable things, okay? So uh, now, I, I'm sharing all this because Jesus actually predicted that there's gonna be cycles like this. Jesus predicted there's, there's war cycles coming, and he, he even said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. So uh, real things and, and perceptions of wars, but check this out. See to it that you are not alarmed, 
Okay, so if you, this, is, this was Jesus saying, hey, if you wanna learn how to be a Christian in the latter days, you need to understand, you're gonna hear about wars and rumors of war, see to it that you are not alarmed, such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. And why was he sharing these things? Was he trying to do this to discourage his disciples? No, he was actually trying to get them ready for one of the greatest moments in history. He was trying to prepare them to be the instruments of God on the face of the earth, okay? So there's an opportunity in the crisis, but I I don't want you to miss what he said, okay? He said, there's one command in here that you need to understand, and it's this. See to it that you are not what? Alarmed. You wanna know what your job is in this season? Your job is simple. See to it that you are not alarmed. Alarmed, I, I think about the Greek word for n- not alarmed, uh, thraeomai, it means basically this, take a stinking chill pill, okay? It means chillax the hack down, okay? It's the Greek word, you could have translated the Greek word simmer in another way, okay? Why, such things may happen, okay? Like Jesus said it again later on to his disciples. He said, hey, um, in this world you're gonna have many trials, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You gotta understand, I've overcome it. There's a plan to overcome it, and yeah, things, such things will happen, but I've overcome it, okay? So, and, and, and keep in mind, okay, when I share those, the thing about the, uh, the war cycles, I think, you know, some people it almost freaks them out like, oh, it's like predestined, like you can, the fact that they can predict it to a very specific decade, historians, okay, I don't necessarily believe that, that war is, is predestined because also, check out what the Bible says here, it's important that you get this, Psalm 46, God makes wars cease, okay? God can stop things, he can change things. God, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth, he breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, and he burns the shields with fire. Come on, there's a scripture to memorize and quote over this situation. God, in fact, I was praying this all last night. God, you break the bow, you shatter the spear, you burn the shields with fire. You know what I'm saying? He says, God says, be still and know that I am God. Once again, what's the, your command? To be still, just to chill and know that God is God. I will be exalted among the nations, God says. I will be exalted in the earth. God's plan is to get glory through this, no matter how it looks, and he's done this. He can break the bow. He can shatter the spirit. The history is replete, both Old Testament and church history, of God turning things around for the benefit of those who love him. Romans 8, 28. We don't need to worry about whether or not it's gonna turn out in our, our good. It is. Doesn't mean we're not gonna go through the fire. We will. Many of us will. But in the end, that fire is gonna be worth it. And I, I think about, like, in church history, there's this famous story of, of one of the earliest popes, Pope Leo I. He was back in 452 A.D. Christianity is fairly new at that point. At that moment, it was Christianity was exploding at that time throughout the whole Roman Empire. In 452 AD, though, the, the Roman Empire, the stability of it all was collapsing. 
And the reason why I'm sharing this story instead of some Old Testament war story is because at this time in history, there was a famine in Rome, there was the plague starting to afflict Rome. Attila the Hun, basically the equivalent of Adolf Hitler, was slaughtering the Roman Empire. He was merciless across the entirety of Europe. And so the reason why I'm sharing this story is because that exact moment was actually one of the convergences in the war cycle, the economic cycle, and the institutional cycle, okay? So we're, we're seeing a moment in history where all these things converged at a a very unique time. The the Roman Empire was collapsing at this moment, and everybody knew things were changing. And so here's Leo. He's he's the top spiritual leader in Rome, and Rome was not merely the center of, of, of of the church at that time. It was really the center of Western civilization. And of course, everybody knew, you know, Attila is marching on Rome, and this is the end. Everybody in Rome knew, hey, Attila's army is coming. Every man, woman, and child is about to die. This is just reality. This is what he's been doing all across Europe. And of course, the emperor has zero power to stop it, and the emperor knew it, right? He knew he was gonna die. And so what can the pastor of Rome do? He was desperate. He was thinking, what am I gonna do? I I gotta do something. And so he ended up deciding to go on a suicide mission to go out and try to persuade Attila to change his mind about attacking Rome, which again, was, was silly for, for several reasons. He, he's gonna take, he and his pastor buddies are gonna ride out and meet Attila, this great conqueror, right before Rome is to be slaughtered. I mean, how is he gonna persuade it? Attila is not a politician. This is a guy who murdered his own brother to get power, okay? So we're talking about probably a sociopath who's not gonna give a rip about some old pastor. Besides, And yet everybody was praying for, 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 for Pope Leo as he goes out to see this madman. And of course, what's interesting about this meeting is he did in fact go out and meet Attila in a tent, and, and to this day, Nobody knows exactly what Leo said to Attila on that day, and historians will debate this to the nth degree. Everybody theorizes it, but the, the, long, the, the end of the story is somehow against all odds, Leo managed to persuade Attila to counterintuitively not destroy Rome, and nobody knows why. In fact, uh, there's all this artwork about it. Legend has it that when Leo, this is, this is Leo right here, and here's Attila falling off his horse right here. And legend has it that when Pope Leo told him about Rome, that Attila had this vision where all of a sudden the apostle Peter and Paul, like, came with, in light with holding swords over his head and said, if you don't listen to Pope Leo, you're on the wrong side of history. And so, of course, I don't know if that actually happened. This is actually painted by, uh, so this is in the Sistine Chapel. It's painted by Raphael, uh, the painter, not the Ninja Turtle. Uh, for, for clarity, I know we have a lot of generations here and uh, um, just wanted to make that clear. And so, uh, I. I don't, I, I'm not necessarily convinced that the Apostle Peter and Paul appeared, uh, but I am convinced that something supernatural and dynamic happened when, when Leo had the guts to go out there with faith in Christ to see if this could happen, that, that, that Leo had this. I mean, Attila shockingly, counterintuitively stopped his war path in Rome was spared, and what we do know is historians, both Christian and secular, are united in saying that that was the moment when the Catholic Church ended up taking over the whole Roman world. In other words, the Roman Empire, led by emperors, became the Holy Roman Empire, led by the Church. 
It was really a revival on civilization in mid 400, and that's why Leo is perhaps one of the most important popes in Catholic history. Now, if you keep following it down the road a couple hundred years, the popes ended up becoming the corrupt agents of, of, of evil on earth, and it got, the, you know, the popes got weird too, but my point in sharing all of this is that God can intervene in history, and God has intervened in history, and I believe God will continue to intervene in history. He can just do this. Boom, he can change everything. Do you realize that? God can, he has, he, he, he does, he will. And, and listen, even when God doesn't intervene in history, there's always a greater good that he's cooking up behind the scenes for those that love him, that are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. Because let me tell you something. You know what I didn't share back with those war cycles, back in those really depressing, you know, like, oh no, we're heading towards world war. Okay, what I didn't share back with the war cycles is guess what? There's another cycle that takes place after war and it's called the awakening cycle. Believe it or not, historians can actually trace all of the major revivals in church history also took place in very predictable windows of time directly opposite of the war cycle. It's very fascinating. And if you study church history, you can see all of these revival cycles happening in history at predictable moments too. You know, we talk about the Protestant Reformation, you know, Martin Luther, the 95 Theses, Bibles being translated into common languages, Puritan Awakening, the Great Awakening with Whitfield. Methodism, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, the Moravians, the, you know, the modernization of worship all happened during the Great Awakening, um, you know, uh, and then, but let, let's fast forward to the Revolutionary War. This was a, a, a global war, really, um, going on. After the Revolutionary War, you see that at the peak, and again, it's, it's crazy the, the consistency and the predictability of these cycles, okay? So the orange is the awakening cycle, after the Revolutionary War, the awakening cycle hit and we, we see what's called in history called the holiness movement. Phoebe Palmer, one of the first really fiery women preachers, um, that, and, and, and Finney, a lot of our modern worship services as we currently do them were actually uh, inspired from guys like Finney who would kind of, he was the first to do like altar calls where the whole sermon kind of, the whole church service was musical and, and you know, crested to that, to a, a, a commitment moment, that's Finney. All of this happened right there. Same thing with abolitionist movements. The anti-slave movement was actually started by the church. A lot of people don't like to talk about that. Uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe in America was actually, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, the leader of the abolitionist movement in America. Uh, she was actually the daughter of a megachurch preacher in those days, okay? So this was a Christian abolitionist movement. The anti-slavery movement was driven by the church. And same thing, not just here, but in, in UK, uh, William Wilberforce, the guy credited with, uh, uh, again, abolishing slavery in UK, that was a Christian church movement that happened at the crest of the, this awakening cycle. And you can trace this in history. The, the peaks of these things happened at very particular times. Same thing with the, the student missionary movement, David Livingston in Africa, Jay Hudson Taylor in China, Adoniram Judson in Burma, Ma Myanmar. More, more people, the church awakened to mission sending and, and global mission movement happened at that moment at a very particular time in the cycle. Let me show you one more, okay? World War II 
happened. After World War II, there was a, all these servicemen came back from Europe seeing the atrocities of war, and my, my grandpa came back from uh, the Pacific and saw all sorts of terrible stuff. Well, guess what? A lot of those servicemen said, hey, there's more to life than a lot of the things we were living for. Let's plant churches. Every major denomination went through a church planting boom after the war, and it was the last one for a lot of Protestant denominations. They've, Protestant denominations have been in decline ever since um, and haven't recovered, but in the midst of that, we saw the, the Jesus movement in the 60s, the charismatic renewal and the independent church movement has been you know, one of the fastest growing movements in all of history. It all occurred at a very particular moment in the cycle, and of course, the reason why I'm pointing this out is because you can see the awakening cycle, it peaked, and it's been getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and we've been on like a downward slide, okay? So if you look at the year where we are in the cycle, okay, today, you'll notice that we're kind of at the bottom of the roller coaster, and so if you wondered why you have that feeling in your, your stomach, okay? It's a predictable thing in history, okay? So just to, to because this downward cycle that, that historians call it the unraveling cycle. The unraveling cycle is where people just get cynical about Everything They get cynical, and they found that in the unraveling cycle, right about here, as people get cynical about the government, institutions, they get cynical about the church, they get cynical about media, and that's predictable, okay? So there we are. If you're wondering why it's been so, so fun the last couple of years, boom. You can just, you can look at a historical cycle, right? But history, you know what the, here's the good news, okay? The good news is right here in this point of the cycle, History also shows that there's a generation that says enough is enough. This is ridiculous. Everything we obsess over is ridiculous. History shows that in the midst of that downward, at the bottom, at the bottom of the unraveling, there's a generation that calls out the nonsense in all of it. And so if you're wondering if there's a generation that's gonna say, yeah, social media is screwed up, guess what, they're born. If you're wondering if there's a generation who's gonna say, you know what, yeah, I think we can do better, guess what, they're born. And the churches that actually equip that generation, they are the ones who end up leading in the next great movement. It's so predictable. I don't know about you, but I wanna be one of those churches. I wanna be one of those churches. I, I, there's, there's a generation that needs to be equipped, and I, I think it's predictable, you guys. I actually think this is kind of a fun thing because when you know these things and you study these things and you see these signs, man, you can get in sync with the Spirit, and when you are in sync with heaven's priorities, guess what? You get in sync with heaven's provisions. And so it begs the question, well then, what can you and I do? Like, what do we need to do in this season of history? What can we do to get our hearts in alignment with what God is doing? Well, like, for starters, okay, let me, let me go back to something that I already told you. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, Matthew 24, 6, but what, first thing, see to it that you are not alarmed, okay? So right now, that is God's command to you. You are not alarmed. You're gonna see it, it's disturbing, and it's really, and I know that's kind of a paradox. How do you do that? I, well, I, the, the simplest way is you anchor yourself with God's word. If you are not memorizing scripture yet, you need to. And, and, and some of you are like, my brain doesn't do that. Well, guess what? Mine didn't either, and I trained it too. Okay, so you gotta, you gotta anchor yourself in what God's word says, and what does God's word say? Psalm 46, one, he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. Though the earth give way, and it crumbles into the heart of the sea, there's a river 
whose streams make glad the city of God. God is within her, come on. You, you, you memorize these passages, you get your soul grounded in it, and all of a sudden, you don't ride the roller coaster because you're not following the truths of some pundit on CNN or Fox, you're following the Bible which I promise you will bring about a harvest that is way more fulfilling than anything you're gonna get by, by following the patterns of this world. Anchor your soul. Anchor your soul. And then that leads to the second thing. Once you get your soul anchored in God's word, you get it renewed, you won't get distracted from the basic mission of Christ. Right now, there are so many alternate missions, good ideas that are not God's idea, or maybe good things that are not God's top priority on planet Earth. And if you're wondering, what is God's priority? Well, he stated it, to seek and save that which is lost. He's already stated it. Heaven rejoices more over one sinner repenting than 99 righteous shouting at the top of their lungs, okay? So it's not about Christians and church. It's about reaching people that don't understand God, don't understand his word, okay? So that, you know what that means is it requires us to pick different battles than we've been picking. I, over the last couple of years, I've just seen so many Christians pick strange battles, and I'm telling you as your pastor, don't get caught up in, in, in stupid political issues that don't ultimately gain influence with you leading people to Christ. And, and, and some, I've had to actually unfriend a few people and cut myself off from people, kind of like Jesus when, when he was going to the cross. Peter starts, oh, but Jesus. And he had to say, Satan, get behind me. You know what I'm saying? He had to, he had to shut down certain voices that were well-intentioned but totally out of sync with what God was actually doing at that moment, picking the wrong battles. And let me just tell you if, you, if you've got Christians who are bickering about church, just if you know Christians like that, uh, let me just tell you, you cannot rock the boat and row the boat at the same time. There are only two people right now in crisis. When you study those cycles, there's only two people at the, at the bottom of, in the middle of a crisis, there's people that are problem finders versus problem solvers. There's people who are critics and there's people who are coaches. There are people who are rowing the boat and there are people who are rocking the boat. All I'm saying is get your focus right. Get, get on the mission, okay? Because that generation who will lead the revival is currently alive. And that means, you know what that means? All hands on deck for kids' ministry. My advice to a lot of people that are caught up in a lot of the weird stuff over the last couple of years is this, shut up and serve in the kids' ministry. Let's just see what they're talking about. They're not talking about the news like you are, you know what I'm saying? Kids, kids, their whole mindset is different and actually in some ways it's healthy for you. Just to, to, we, if we're not doing kids ministry, youth ministry, college student ministry and reaching that young unchurched generation, then we're missing it, I'm just telling you, okay? And so if you're young and you're here at Substance, get ready to lead, you're gonna be leading some of our greatest campuses in the future. So, I mean, we're gonna, we're gonna plant some crazy fun churches and you guys are gonna be some of the authors, you're gonna be the bloggers, vloggers, you're gonna be, the, the, you're, you're gonna be the, the marketplace leaders who are out there just changing the world. And, and in fact, many of you probably don't even know this, a lot of the, even the, the stuff that I'm, I, we invest in as a church, our, our church actually played a big role in getting the Bible app for kids um, launched in multiple languages. Your money, you may not have even known this, but 
Like, your money actually paid for the Bible app for kids to get translated into Danish, into Finnish, into uh, Catalonian Spanish. Um, in fact, our church alone, the money that our church has invested into just digital biblical resources have enabled entire countries of children to read the Bible. I mean, we have the metrics on this. Tens of millions of kids around the world have read the Bible because of this church. Your money, okay? So in case you were wondering, like, oh, I wish I would have invested in Facebook in that little window or in Bitcoin in that little window, guess what? You invested in eternity, and you're gonna stand before the Lord, and you're gonna be like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because we're, we're, we're keeping you on mission, and I, I, I wanna encourage you as your pastor to stay, stay grounded, don't be alarmed, stay on mission, the focus of what, what God is really doing on planet Earth, picking your battles well. The third thing is get your prayer life in shape. If it's not in shape yet, get it in shape. Some of you, come on, you need to get your prayer beach body on. You know what I'm saying? Summer is coming. And yeah, we're in winter right now, and it's discouraging, and maybe not motivating, but come on, prayer is a muscle you gotta flex, and the more you flex it, you burn that spiritual fat. Some of you, you need your prayer beach body, so to speak. Get your prayer life in shape. God wants to speak to you. That'll help keep you in alignment, help you choose your battles, so that you don't attend every argument you're, you're invited to. And guess what, you're gonna be invited to a lot in the trauma of this cycle. And God wants to use you to reshape the earth, not just to listen to God, but to also, re there's certain miracles that God will only give in, 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 that he'll dispense in proportion to prayer. It, God has ordained certain things to happen in response to prayer. That's why James 5.16 says, the prayer of a righteous person is what? Powerful and effective. Like some of you, you're, you're underestimating prayer. You're like, yeah, 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 prayer, prayer, prayer works, okay. Okay, well, do, do, do you do it? I believe that we should be praying over Ukraine right now. Break the bow, shatter the spear. Praying God's word over it. And here's the truth, if we can stay in sync with God through prayer, he's gonna use us to do a revival that people are gonna talk about for a long, long time. And as one last example of this, I, I remember, uh, just if I could wrap it up with this, back in Europe, back in the early 1400s, there was a, a preacher I love to read about named John Huss. And he's famous because in those days, most priests would preach in Latin, which was a language nobody could understand. And Huss is like, why are we doing that? Why, why don't we translate the Bible into a common language, preach in a common language, which was uh, very, very... Uh, uh, that rebellious, and in those days, he preached in Czech, which, you know, not surprisingly, he packed out 3,000 people in his cathedral every single week, which made a lot of people in the Catholic hierarchy very nervous because, um, again, they were able to maintain power by, by obfuscation, by, by using a language nobody could understand. That makes them dependent upon the priesthood to know all things spiritual. And, you know, if the people actually knew what the Bible said, they might not follow us anymore, and of course, uh, part of the reason why people loved John Huss is he was a man of the people. He was born in poverty, he grew up in poverty, he understood the, the struggles of the common person, and yet he never, even after he became important, he never acted important, he had humility, he never went by titles, like doctor, he had his doctorate in those days, which you know uh, would be like having five doctorates today. I mean, he was a very, very smart guy, and yet he never, uh, nobody referred to him as doctor, he just called him, everybody, he actually said, what do, you, what do we call you? He just said, call me the goose. The goose? like not the most holy prior of Prague, which is what most people would have gone by. No, just call me the goose, I'm, I'm cool with that. 
And so that was his nickname, and uh, people almost felt uncomfortable calling him that because it just felt disrespectful. And yet, again, he was just a down-to-earth guy preaching the Bible, not Catholic dogma, which made a lot of enemies in those days. In fact, uh, the Catholic papacy got so threatened by him that they made the decision to assassinate their, one of their own. And, it, and it, it, it sounds odd to say, but you have to see it more of like a, as a political party in those days than a, than a spiritual movement. And, and uh, they decided to assassinate John Huss. They made a decision to lure him to a certain city. Um, so they started out by, by capturing him, kidnapping him, torturing him in a dungeon for several months, trying to get him to recant. After he refused to, to, to do what they were saying, he, he said, I'm gonna continue to preach the Bible. They made the decision to publicly burn him at the stake, and that's where the story gets kind of interesting. They were stacking, the, they, they tied him to a stake, and they put all the wood and the, the hay around his body so they could light him on fire. And, and as they started lighting the fire to burn him alive in the public square, he just started singing worship songs. I can't even imagine that. And as the flames started growing, the, of course, there were people there to taunt him, and one person shouted, ha, your goose got cooked, you know, trying to mock his nickname. And, and as the flames grew, John looked at the audience, and he just shouted some of his final words. He shouted a prophecy about Europe that, that people never forgot, and he said, he said, you can cook your goose today, but 100 years from now, God is gonna raise up a man whose calls for reform will not be suppressed. And as, every, as you'd imagine, everybody loyal to Huss remembered this, because this is kind of very specific. I mean, 100 years, what's in 100 years? And, you know, and why 100 years? Like, it just, you know, people were like, kind of some strange last words, but okay, okay. So Huss died that day. Fast forward. 60 years later, the Catholic Church had even become more corrupt. They became uh, overtaken by an organized crime family, the Medicis. And uh, once again, God raised up another fiery preacher in, in Italy named uh, Savonrola, Girolamo Savonrola, drew even bigger crowds than Huss. About 15,000 came to his cathedral, and sure enough, the Catholic hierarchy said, we gotta take this guy out too. And so they, they captured him, kidnapped him, burned and tied him to a stake. And, and as the flames rose around his body, he too prophesied something very similar to Huss, except this time he said, in 40 years, God is raising up a reformer who cannot be stopped. He repeated Huss's prophecy, except this time he added to the prophecy and he said, except this reformer is coming from the north. And of course, everyone in Italy took note. They're like, oh, interesting, he added to it. <clears throat> from the north, and by this point, you're like, what happened? Right? Like what happened in 40 years? Well, get this, the cool thing is, we have the benefit of looking back through history to figure out what it was. Exactly 100 years after Huss prophesied, exactly 40 years after Savonrola prophesied, a young priest by the name of Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door in Wittenberg and started a revival that a Bible movement, a back to the Bible movement that really hasn't stopped until this day. And, and I think about that story a lot because someday we're gonna actually meet Huss and we're gonna meet Savonrola. Believe it or not, we're gonna be able to hang out with these guys, party in heaven. And uh, I, I, I can't wait, I can't wait. And uh, we're gonna have the opportunity to ask them, what was it like? You know, do you regret going through the fire? And I guarantee you they're gonna say, heck no, heck no. I don't regret going through the fire. I don't 
regret being burned at the stake. In fact, I believe they would say, hey, the fires of life are a privilege. And here's why, the harvest is always biggest during the crisis. Come on, the light always shines brightest in the darkness. You see, church, I believe that God has ordained the time set for us in the exact places where we would live, Acts 17, 26. God has chosen us to have the privilege of pointing people to heaven during one of the coolest times on planet Earth. And hey, that doesn't mean it's always gonna be fun, but I do believe it's always gonna be eternally fruitful. And so could we just devote ourselves to that calling right here, right now? Can we do that? Just bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I pray that you take away all the fear of living completely unashamedly for you. And Lord, there's only one kingdom that will never fail, and it's your kingdom. There's only one government that will never fail us. And that's your government, and there's only one leader who will truly lead us into peace, and that's the Prince of Peace. And we wanna receive you right here and right now today. I pray that you would help get our battles in alignment with your battles, our prayers in alignment with what you are interceding on behalf of humanity. And Father, we just pray for everything going on around the world, and we just pray that you would draw men unto yourself. Lord, even right now in Ukraine and throughout the whole world, Lord, as everybody lives circumspectly, I pray that as everyone sees the fragility of life, that we would suddenly make decisions that we need to make about eternity. And, and, and church, if that's you today, if you're here and, and you're like, I don't even know if I'm right with God, well, guess what? Right here now, we can do business. We can take care of that. Just say this after me. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, and lead me so that I might know you and that I might make you known. Starting today, in Jesus' name we pray. If you agree with that prayer, say amen. Amen. We're gonna have some fun with this, church. With all that said, we're gonna have our campus pastors come on up and tell us where we're gonna go next. I love you guys. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com slash giving and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check in next week for a new message.